study sheet, make sure you get one. We're gonna be diving right in. All right, so, how to study the Bible. What rule are we on? We're on rule number four. Great job, class. Okay. All right, so we're on rule number four, and that is the application factor. Now, go ahead and take a look at your guys' study sheet. I got three verses up at the top, as, as, as well as a definition of this particular rule. So the application factor. There are three applications to every Bible passage. You have historical, devotional, and doctrinal. Historical, devotional, and doctrinal. Now, this is one of those rules of Bible study that honestly will transform the way that you view the Bible, if you let it. This one is absolutely amazing, and it's really, really neat. Uh, and we'll talk about the different nuances of each and why there are three. But take a look at these three verses. Ecclesiastes 1.9 goes with historical. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.11 goes with devotional. And the John 5.39 verses 46 and 47 goes with the doctrinal. And this is really cool how this lays out. So Ecclesiastes 1.9, somebody read it. Go ahead. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Okay, what does that mean? History repeats itself. History repeats itself. And when you really look at it, the thing that hath been, what is that? History. Past. The thing that hath been, past, is that which shall be. What is that? Future. Future. Shall be. Shall be. It's not here yet. And that which is done, what is that? Present. present is that which shall be done. Future. Future. Okay, so the thing that's the past is what's going to happen in the future, and the thing that's happening now is also going to happen in the future, and there is no new thing under the sun. And that is really interesting, because it is true. There are things in the Old Testament that I believe in some ways that the people that existed during that time were a lot smarter than what we are today. And there's a lot of people, especially within Christianity, that do not believe that. They think that because we have all these thousands of years, and some people believe millions of years, which is not biblical, it's not true, but all these thousands of years of collected knowledge that we are actually smarter today than what people were back in the 1600s. You ever heard that one? I've heard that one. That is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true. And when you study history and the lives of some of the people that lived back during that time, you find out that they were actually a lot smarter on many different things than anything we could ever hope for. So, Ecclesiastes 1.9 talks about the historical application of the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10.11 Now all these things, talking about Israel in the Old Testament, happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So God included the events that are written in the Old Testament for our benefit devotionally. There are so many things in the Bible from just studying the nation of Israel, the mistakes that they made, their heart attitude towards all those things, that if you were to just take that and apply it to your life devotionally, it would benefit you greatly. And then John 5, 39, 46, and 47, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. For had ye believed Moses... Ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Where did Moses write directly about Jesus Christ? Anyone want to give me an answer? Did he? Go ahead. No, he didn't. He didn't. But yet there are doctrinal truths through the things that Moses wrote that spoke of Jesus Christ. So that is the doctrinal application. So we're going to spend some more time talking about that. So all these things are just really, really, really cool. These things are so important. And the reason why these things are so important is that you could easily get some things wrong. Easily. False doctrine happens when you get some of this stuff wrong. And you can take things completely out of context, applying things to yourselves that were never meant to apply to you, or just applying it wrongly. And so for that, I have a little awesome short video just to show you that you shouldn't misapply the Scriptures. And so who else than Cool Carl? Because Cool Carl is just pretty amazing. He's just, he's just pretty amazing. Yeah. Hi there, you old chicken nuggets. It's me, Carl. <laughs> Been too long. Hi. Why are you all here? 
All I know in reading Ephesians, which I believe is French for a bag of fish. <laughs> but what I am, I'm just a humble man who enjoys short walks on the beach. I mean, long walks. Short sprints and long walks on the beach. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Uh, anywho, if you don't mind, I'm just going to finish up this paragraph. It's called The Armor of God. <laughs> Stand therefore, having fastened on the bell of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is a sword. Sounds like someone needs to grab a sword and carry it everywhere they go. Wow, I think you might be right. I am. You know why? Why? Because I'm you, Carl. <laughs> so let's go <gonna> get... <laughs> Hold on just one minute. <laughs> there we go. I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, buying a sword, carrying it everywhere you go? That sounds a little sketchy. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be carrying it everywhere I went. Right? You probably would. No, I guess I would. Well, if that's what the Bible says... I guess that's what I gotta do. <laughs> In your face. All right, take it easy. So where would I get a sword? Look under your chair. Wow, no kidding. I have no idea this was under there. What? Well, let's get to it. <laughs> oh. to the school. So don't worry, kiddos. I'm trying to teach you a good lesson. <laughs> hey, Andy. Carl, what are you doing, man? Yo, man, I'm just going to go visit my old chicken nugget friends over at school. What is that? Oh, that? Yeah, I think that's either mustard or frosting from my birthday last year. No, with a thing in your hand. Is that a sword? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't see it more as a sword, but as the word. <laughs> that's why I'm carrying it. The word? What are you talking about? The word, Andy. It's in Ephesians, which I believe is French. A bag of fish. I know. It's not true, but continue. Well, it talks about the armor of God, and it mentions that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. We're supposed to bring God's word with us everywhere. Ergo, oregano. Carry a sword. I carry a sword. Oh, you got it all wrong, man. What do you mean? Like I'm taking it out of context? Yes, absolutely. You see, the only offensive piece of armor in the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. That alone should tell you how we should see the Word of God. You see, we should see God's Word as a weapon to combat the temptation we encounter, the hatred we feel, and everything else Satan tries to throw our way. When Jesus was in the desert, the only weapon he used to fight Satan was the Word of God. So we shouldn't carry around a literal sword, but God's Word, not only in our hands like this, but in our hearts, so we can have it wherever we go. <laughs> that makes so much sense. I'll make sure not to take things out of context next time. By the way, how'd you find me? Oh, I just saw the news that the cops were called because there was like a long-haired hippie guy carrying around a sword near a school and I figured it out of you. Cops were called? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Carl? Yeah? Did you just throw the sword on my foot? Uh, well... Define foot. <laughs> this video sure did cost you an arm and a leg, right? <laughs> yeah, too soon. That's my bad. Hey everybody, we are happy to let you know that this video was brought to you by Focus on the Family. We have a very special announcement. That's right, we love what they're doing over there at Focus. And we're super excited to announce on October 1st. We are inviting all of y'all to take part in celebrating the Bring Your Bible to School Day. Bring Your Bible to School Day is a day that we encourage every believer to be intentional, to not only bring their Bible wherever they go, but to encourage them to dive deeper into God's Word and the scripture that He's given us. But Andy, why won't I go anywhere special? Like my bedroom, gas station, or my backyard. 
Of course, everywhere you go, God's Word should be there too. What if I don't have my physical Bible? Can I bring my phone? And you have a Bible. I know, I'm just saying for like those who are watching, if they like don't have like a physical Bible, and they're like, hey, but I have a phone that can have a Bible on it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Improv. Okay, got it. All right. Yes, the, the Bible on your phone will work as well. So, are you up for the challenge? So we want to encourage you, your friends, family, and group to join us for Bring Your Bible to School Day on October 1st. All you got to do is pick up your phone and text BRING IT to 72000. 72,000, 7,200, 7,200, 7,200, yeah. There you go. Brilliant. Let's try it. So there you have it. God has given you a weapon, a weapon that has life-changing ability. So, our question to you, will you pick that weapon up? Yes. <laughs> no, it was like a hypothetical. It wasn't. I had to take it. Okay. I picked it up. We're talking about the Bible, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, this no, we did a whole bit of I know, yeah. yeah. We, we just need to be careful with that. <laughs> Bring it. October 1st. Focus on the family. 7200. <laughs> oh my gosh, alright, so I had to do that one. So obviously, you can misapply it, so don't be taking physical swords to school on October 1st, please. please. Alright, okay. So these three applications are, are very, very important. So let's talk a little bit about each one of them, and then I've got a little exercise for you guys to do on the back side of your paper for you to work this out. We're going to look at a, a couple examples on how it would actually work out. But this is really, really neat. So the first thing that you need to know is you've got to understand things historically first. If you don't know what's going on in the story and what's happening, then there's no way you're even going to get the devotional application right. You're just not going to. So slow down. Make sure you understand some of the historical details that are happening. And that can be a little bit harder in some of the other Old Testament books, like in First and Second Chronicles or First and Second Kings or even Leviticus, to understand the historical details surrounding it. But if you're willing to put in the time, you're going to be able to find out that there's some amazing things that are in there. All right, so let's hit these two definitions. I'll show you a couple passages of Scripture, and then we'll get into it. Okay, so historical application. What does this mean? The Bible is divinely inspired by God, divinely inspired by God, written down by men, and 100% historically accurate in all its details, people, places, time, and events in the past, present, and the future. God cannot lie, so there is no reason to ever doubt his, its historical accuracy. While many attempt to discredit the historical record of the Bible, especially miracles and fulfilled prophecy, the Bible has never been proven to be historically inaccurate. Archaeological evidence is continually found to support the record of the Bible, and that is absolutely true. God himself says that everything is inspired in the scriptures. Take a look at this verse, all right? So our first verse here is Matthew 5.18. So Jesus said this, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, you got to understand what a jot is and a tittle. All right? So go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. I want to show you what Jesus was talking about here. So Psalm 119, and we're going to take a look at a couple different things here. So Psalm 119, in uh, most of your guys' Bibles, hopefully, um, they're broken up into stanzas. And at the beginning of each stanza is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this is actually the whole alphabet of the Hebrew language found here in Psalm 119. And so if you take a look at verse 73, right above verse 73, you see this word. What does it say? Jod. Jod or jot. Jod. It's the same thing that Jesus was talking about. And you see that little marking there? That is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So Jesus says, not one jot or jod or one tittle shall in no ways pass from the law until all be fulfilled. So every part of the Old Testament law is going to be fulfilled down to the smallest letter, jod. Okay? Now go ahead and take a look at verse 25. And then you're going to compare that, that letter that's right above verse 25 with verse 153. So go ahead and take a look at both. There's a way you can do that with your Bible. Maybe just kind of curl the pages a little bit. That's how I'm doing it with mine. 
you have the one letter above verse 25, Daleth, and you have the one letter above verse 153, Resh. Now look at those and note the difference between the two. What's the difference between those two Hebrew letters? The bottom line's more thicker than the fifth word. Okay, the bottom line's more thicker. Yeah. I'm sure that's grammatically accurate. More thicker on the 25, yeah? Okay, there's that. What else do you see? Yeah. Inverse, I mean, on the 25 one, it hangs over a little bit. Yeah, so it hangs over just a little bit. Do you see that? So that way, you've got this thing here where it kind of looks like this, and then the one goes straight down, but the other one, it hangs over just a little bit, and it looks like that. This small piece that hangs over right here is called a tittle. So the smallest character of a letter will even be fulfilled. So Jesus says that the smallest letter and the smallest even marking on a letter will not fail until everything is fulfilled. That is unbelievable. And there's people that don't believe that God has the ability to preserve his words. Well, God has to preserve his words if he's going to go down to that much detail and say all of it's going to be fulfilled. That is absolutely amazing. So we need to remember that. It is divinely inspired. It is 100% true. And God cannot lie. He cannot lie. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. Every single aspect of it. There's not one part of it that's going to fail. That is huge. 2 Peter 1.21. I love this verse. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This wasn't something that people just made up. It, wasn't, it didn't come that way, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God was the one that gave His Word. So every small aspect of it is going to be fulfilled, historically. And then I love this verse. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. God cannot lie. He can't. And this is why I make very strong statements at times to people and to you guys about how every part of the Word of God must be true. If there's one thing in it that's wrong, one error in it that's wrong, then throw the whole thing out. This is why. Every part of it must be 100% true. And there are people that are just not willing to believe that. And we'll talk about some of those, um, I guess, discrepancies or apparent contradictions with a future rule. But that's what you need to see. This is absolutely amazing. And so historically, the Bible is 100% true. There are many people that go back and they say, well, there's this, or these people didn't even exist. Well, just give it a matter of time, and then people that study archaeology will then find the remnants of those peoples. It's amazing. Over and over again, the Bible is found to be true again and again and again and again and again in the face of anyone who wants to poke holes through it. There are many people that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they pursued the Bible to the end that they could disprove it. And they found that they couldn't. And as a result, they actually got saved, which is huge. So the Bible is 100% accurate historically. And so there is a historical application to it. Understanding the events of what's going on around certain characters, certain times, certain things. You've got to make sure that you nail those things down first. Then once you get that down, now you can start to talk about the devotional. So devotional. Let's go ahead and turn to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. All right, and somebody read verses 1 through 4. Romans 15, 1 through 4. Who would like to read? Who can read? Can anybody read here? All right, Emily, thank you. <laughs> yeah, 1 through 4. Yeah. It says right there in the big letters. Right? It does, it does. Uh, okay. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on him, fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning and we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Okay, so that verse 4, I included the ones before because it starts to see there that those that are weak can be, can be lifted up and really carried by those that are stronger, just as Christ did. And then it talks about the things that were written aforetime, they're written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There are things from the Bible that we can learn. When I go back into the scriptures and I read about the events of Jesus and the things that he did when he spoke to people, when 
he uh, witnessed to like the woman at the well. Or the, one of the big stories that moves me every time I read it is the man that had leprosy. And Jesus went to go heal that man. And Jesus could have just spoken the word and the man would have been healed. But rather than just speaking the word, what did Jesus do? Anyone know? Touched he touched him. Do you know that it was against the Levitical law for any Jew to touch another person that had leprosy? They were deemed unclean because they touched someone that had leprosy. Jesus defiled himself in order to touch a man and then heal him. That was huge. And the fact that God would have such compassion upon a man that no one else wanted to touch him, but he touched him. He didn't have to. He chose to. And that teaches me something about our Lord. That teaches me how I ought to be with other people. That when there's a person that's being shunned by everybody else that no one else wants to be around, I need to have compassion on that person. Because Jesus would. No one wants to touch that person. I need to touch their lives because no one else wants to. So that helps me. And so things like that devotionally are just hugely important. So the devotional application is the personal application that can be made from every scripture to our own lives. The entire Bible is for our learning and for our personal application. Every book, every chapter, every verse of the Bible applies to my life right now. That's your blank there. Right now in some way. Every book, every chapter, every verse applies to your life right now in some way. And the only reason why you can't see it is because you just refuse to see it or you don't understand the historical details surrounding what's going on. So if that's the case, and like let's say you're reading somewhere and you're like, man, I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, chances are you don't understand what's going on. So go back and try to understand more of the history and understand what's happening in the events of the story. And then you'll be able to understand what you can apply to your life in some way. Making a personal or devotional application must be balanced with factor number two, the people group factor. All scripture is for us, but not all scripture is directly to us. So we should always be careful to apply the Bible appropriately in our lives. But the events are still true. And so there are things you absolutely can apply to your lives. We've already gone over this verse, that all these things in the Old Testament happen unto them for examples. They are examples. When you look at Israel, they, them, them as a nation, all the decisions that they make as a nation, as a whole, are a great example for you personally in your own life. When you look at Israel and you see like, man, how could they not believe God? Okay, well, turn around and look at your own life. When have you not believed God? You're just like the nation of Israel. There's so many lessons like that. And they are written for our admonition. It's a warning unto us and to encourage us to be obedient upon whom the ends of the world are come. Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. It's going to happen in the future. And that which is done, it is that which, which shall be done. And there's no new thing under the sun. We've already read that verse already. Um, and so that is huge. So the devotional application, a lot of people use it and abuse it. And people that abuse it, they make it to say whatever they want it to say. So you have to take it, number one, in context, in context, considering the people groups, but you got to understand what's going on historically. If you want to understand why David responded the way that he did or why Saul did what he did, look at the details that are going on historically within the context to find out what's going on, and then you'll be able to understand the passage much better to apply it to your life. All right? Okay, then now it's moving on to the doctrinal application. Now, this one is definitely the tougher one. This is one that you'll understand things more and more and more as you grow in your walk with God, for sure, number one, but as you understand things historically and you start to apply things devotionally and as you start to live out the scriptures, God's going to open up these doors a lot more and more and more. But there are some amazing ones. So doctrine, that's your first blank there. Doctrine equals God's established truth. So doctrine equals God's established truth. It is knowledge or a system or set of beliefs that are given by God. So it's God's truth. When we talk about doctrine or sound doctrine, it is God's truth. The doctrinal application simply means that God has tucked away bigger, deeper teachings and pictures of his grand doctrinal truths in Bible verses, passages, and stories. They are not always easy to catch, but they can be the most wonderful and interesting applications found. Many doctrinal applications are prophetic teachings of the coming of Christ, Antichrist, the tribulation period, millennium, and many other things. So they can be hidden prophetic pictures that God really is consistent throughout Scripture about, but there are deeper things that He wants to teach us. So let me give you a few examples. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. 
1 Corinthians 10. God it really defines one right here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers... Who's that? When he says our fathers, when Paul says our fathers, who's he talking about? The Jews, or the nation of? Israel. Yes, Israel, right? Our fathers, Israel, were under the cloud and passed through the sea. What event is he talking about? Under the cloud, what is that? Okay, so when the exodus occurred, they came out of Egypt, God covered them with a cloud by day, so that way they wouldn't be exhausted by the sun, and he led them by a pillar of fire by night, and then passed through the seas when they crossed over the... Jordan No, no. Red Sea. Yes, the Red Sea, and they walked through on dry ground, so they escaped Pharaoh and his armies on dry ground. So it says that Israel were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So that's the same events. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. What is he talking about there? What event? Moses hit the rock. Yep. So Moses hit the rock. Israel's complaining. They're like, we want water. We're going to die. We should have just gone back to Egypt. Okay. All right. Whatever. And so then God says, all right, Moses. Strike the rock. Take your staff, strike the rock, and when you do, water's going to come out. So that whole picture of the crossing of the Red Sea, the cloud, the rock, especially the rock here specifically, when he strikes the rock, water's going to come out. Jesus called himself the living water. And so there's a reason why he did that. And they, a, a staff struck a rock and water came out. What do you think that picture is? What is that? When was Jesus struck and living, <clears throat> living <clears throat> water came out? When he was on the cross, yes, because he was struck. He was bruised for our transgressions. And so the picture of the Old Testament, Moses striking the rock and then life-giving water comes out of that rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. And that's why it says that rock was Christ. So all those illustrations and those pictures in the Old Testament were foreshadowing a spiritual truth that God was wanting to teach the nation of Israel. So when the Messiah showed up and then he was crucified, Israel would be like, we just read that in the synagogue. We just, we just read that. That's, what, that's what's going on. And so these are the connections that Paul was trying to help the nation of Israel to make when he would go into the synagogue. He'd open up the Old Testament passage and he would say, that rock that Moses struck, that was Jesus Christ. That was our Messiah. So he would do that constantly. So these doctrinal applications are the revealing of deeper truths that God has wanted people to understand all along. And God is a brilliant teacher. He uses all sorts of things to teach deeper spiritual truths because he knows that we can't understand them directly and that we need helps. We need pictures. We need illustrations. Some people are more auditory learners and some are more visual. And so that being the case, God does many different things like that in order to get us to understand some of his deeper spiritual truths. So that's huge. That is major. All right, let's take a look at a couple other examples. All right, take a look at John 539. All right. So Jesus even said this, search the scriptures. Now, when he's talking about this, historically speaking, is he talking about the New Testament? No. No. Do you know why? Yeah, the New Testament didn't even exist yet. So when Jesus is walking around and he says, search the scriptures, he's talking about Genesis through Malachi or in the Jewish Bible, Genesis through Second Chronicles, because it's ordered a little bit differently. So search the scriptures. For in them, the Old Testament, ye think ye have eternal life, and they, those scriptures, are they which testify of me. That is massively huge. That means that Jesus is all over the Old Testament, and the Jews should have understood it by just believing the Old Testament scriptures. Take a look at this one. We already read this a little bit. For had ye believed Moses, which, how many books of the Bible did Moses write? Five. Five. The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus... Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. How did he write of Jesus? Deeper doctrinal spiritual truths that God was wanting to teach the nation of Israel. 
to prepare them for the Messiah. When Jesus showed up, that's why there were people, when you read the beginning of Matthew, where they're like, he's here. The Messiah's here. How did they know that? Right here. Pharisees completely missed it because they didn't believe the scriptures. But God already put those things in there. So that's huge. Go to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Take a look at one more example. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, 39 through 41. We'll take 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, or Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment of this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. That is a huge statement. Because by the way, the people of Nineveh, Jew or Gentile? Gentile. They were Assyrians. And they abused the nation of Israel. Israel hated the Assyrians. Especially knowing the Assyrians actually conquered the northern ten tribes. So knowing that's the case... Jesus himself says, the men of Nineveh, who you hate, by the way, will rise up in judgment of you because one greater than Jonas is here, and they believe Jonah. They believe Jonah, but you're not willing to believe me. Whoo, you guys are in trouble. They would have despised Jesus for that one. That was massively huge. But here, he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. First of all, this is how we know that hell is in the center of the earth, because Jesus here himself says that he is going to descend into the lower part of the earth or the heart of the earth. And so that's huge right there. But as Jonah was three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man. There's a doctrinal picture right there. So right in the Old Testament, there was not only the crucifixion, but the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he spent three days and three nights in the grave, defeating sin and death and stealing the keys away from the devil of, of death and of hell. So that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So God puts these little nuggets all over the scriptures if you're willing to see it. Okay, so now let's talk about this. All right, so flip it over, flip it over. So before I give you guys your two examples, which what we're going to do is that we're going to say, all right, since we're basically split guys and girls, um, so ladies, you guys are going to take the numbers 21, 4 through 9. I don't care how you split. You can do two or three groups or whatever. But you guys are going to do the numbers 21, 4 through 9. Guys, you're going to do the strange woman in Proverbs. And that would be Proverbs 21, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. So you guys will split into a couple groups, and you'll do those two down there. So we have one example apiece. But I want to show you a couple examples before we dive into it. So go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And let's talk about Cain and Abel for a second. Genesis chapter 4. Alright, so Genesis chapter 4. So if you were to take a certain passage and say, okay, I want to understand it historically, I want to understand it devotionally, and I want to understand it doctrinally. How would you approach it and what would you do? So let's look at these two examples. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. They give us the details of Cain and Abel. And so this is where Cain and Abel, they bring sacrifices unto the Lord. Verse 3, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his, and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. Okay, so historically, this is very simple. Cain kills his brother in anger because God refused to sacrifice and accepted Abel's. Very simple, right? Any issues on that? We all good? Same page? So that's what you're trying to do. If you were to boil it down to one sentence or two sentences, what is it being, what's going on here? What are the events? What's happening? 
Okay, so Cain kills his brother. He's mad at him because God refused his sacrifice, but he accepted his brothers. So what would be the devotional application? There are many, many devotional applications, but this could be one of them. To be accepted by God, you must always approach God on his terms, never your own. See, Abel knew what to offer, but so did Cain. Cain knew what to offer too. He just refused. He wanted to approach God on his own terms. He knew that God wanted a blood sacrifice. He knew that God wanted a spotless lamb to be the sacrifice. Abel obeyed. Cain didn't. And then Cain gets all upset because God refused him. Well, duh. It's not God's fault. You disobeyed. And I'm telling you, oh, that is a heart issue that is deep inside of all of us. We want to go to God on our own terms. God, accept me for me. And God's like, okay, yeah, I love you and I do accept you, but you have to deal with your sin. There are so many Christians that think that God is just okay with their sins. God is not okay with your sin. He's not okay with mine. He's not okay with yours. If I want to be close to God, I have to judge my sin on God's terms, not mine. I can't say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. No, I am a sinner. God is holy. So that sin shouldn't even be in my life, period. And once I approach God on those terms, now I can have a relationship with God. So that's Cain and Abel. That's a great devotional application. What about the doctrinal? These brothers start the doctrinal pattern found in the Bible that illustrates the battle for the throne between God and Satan, Christ and Antichrist. It also starts the pattern in the Bible of being born again. He's the second brother, the second birth. I mean, there's so many great doctrinal truths of that one. But that is huge. That's huge. So that is an example just from Cain and Abel. Just trying to keep it very, very simple historically, devotionally, doctrinally. Now, let's take a look at the book of Job. Now, this one will go a little bit deeper. So historically, we don't have time to read Job 1 through 42. Sorry. But I thought we'd just divide and conquer, but I don't think we have enough time. All right, so Job. Job suffers tribulation caused by a contention between Satan and God in the unseen world. We know that from chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you can see that unfold through the rest of the book. Devotionally. So what we must do, biblically, to deal with spiritual warfare caused by the devil. Sometimes bad things happen, not because you did something wrong, but just because there's spiritual warfare that's happening. And as a result, you need to recognize that, understand that spiritual warfare is real, and these things can just unfold. Some people struggle with, you know, why did this happen to my life? Or why did that happen to my life? What? Sometimes there's no answer. And sometimes it's just, it's just spiritual warfare. Sometimes there's things that happen in the spiritual world where, where, where God and, and, and the devil are just going at it for whatever reason, and the fallout happens to me. I mean, we're living in enemy territory, so sometimes just things happen. And the easiest thing for us to do is just submit to God. And Job did that at first, but then he struggled a little bit later. So that's a good devotional application when you read the book of Job. But here's a really cool doctrinal application. When you read the book of Job, it is a prophetic picture of Israel suffering in the tribulation under the hand of the Antichrist. It is amazing. When you go through the book of Job and you start to see that from that perspective. Because at first, the nation of Israel might be compliant and say, you know what, we're trusting God with this. We don't understand what's going on. But you start getting down the road of the tribulation, and I bet you Israel's going to struggle. And there's going to be some that completely walk away from Jehovah. And I'm not listening to those prophets. Yeah, I, 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 saw, I saw them breathe fire and kill those guys. I, I get that. But do you understand what the Antichrist is doing to my family? You understand what's going on? I can't, I can't do this. Job's struggling, and he's having a hard time seeing things from God's perspective. Exactly. That's going to happen during the tribulation to the nation of Israel. But at the end of it, God ended up blessing Job more in the end than in the beginning. Israel's going to be blessed way more in the end than what they were in the Old Testament that we see in the beginning. And it's going to be amazing. So it's really cool. It's a really cool doctrinal picture. Okay, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. So ladies, go ahead and grape up, grape, grape up, grape up, group up into grapes. 
Just kidding. <laughs> Get into your groups. You can split into probably two different groups, I'd say. Um, numbers 21, 4 through 9. There's a great picture there. Uh, if you're struggling, I can give you a cross-reference that will give you some of the doctrinal stuff, but you might recognize it from somewhere, so you can go ahead and just give it a shot. Guys, you can split up, and you guys can take the strange woman out of Proverbs. So you guys can split up into probably two groups, and you guys can take a look at some of these passages and try to figure out the historical, the devotional, and the doctrinal. All right? So break it up. I'll give you about, mm, we'll see where you're at in about five minutes. And then we'll maybe make it to 10. We'll see where we're at. And then we'll get back together and we'll talk about these two. All right. Go. Guys, forge the way tonight. So maybe between the two guy groups, we can collaborate and come up with the strange woman. We just don't have the last. Okay, then I'll have you guys kick it off then. All right. Okay. So, all right. So we've got the strange woman in Proverbs. So group uh, um, A. Sure. All right. Group Gavin. Oh well, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Go ahead. All right, Gavin. What do you got for historical? A strange woman in Proverbs. She is pretty strange. So the history about it is a strange woman that tempts men and you know leads to destruction. Okay. That's bad because men are being led somewhere else. Um, the devotional, <laughs> devotional. Is that we got keep an eternal perspective and like I said, don't be tempted by the strange woman. Okay. All right. Yeah, we didn't get to Okay. All right. Not bad. Not a bad first attempt. Yeah. If you were to say the strange woman historically, who is that? Not Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not Mary. Yes, <laughs> Oh. Yeah. The world. Okay, devotionally. There you go. Yep, so the, okay, so the strange woman would be the world. That's good, good, good. Okay, that'd be a great devotional application. So something that would tempt you to do something to sin against God, right? Yes. Okay, there you go. There you go. Okay, all right, uh, guys, group B. All right, what do you want to add to that? And then what's your doctrinal? Because they didn't get to the doctrinal yet. For historical, we just had, um, it was Solomon morning. His sons, more specifically, about the dangerous, strange woman because Solomon struggled with women mm -hmm. in his time. Yep. Yes. So, devotional, we had stay away um, from the strange woman, which could be a picture of sin uh -huh. in your life um, by keeping God's commandments. And then doctrinally, we had keeping God's commandments will protect you from sin, um, like the arm of God or Psalms 119.11. Okay. Now, I would say that doctrinal is actually more of a devotional application. Yeah. So, all right, good. Good, good. Okay. So take the stuff you guys wrote down and that you learned from each other and then listen to this one as well. Okay, ready? Here we go. So historically, Solomon writes, like you're talking about Solomon writes wisdom to his son about what kind of a woman to avoid. So historically, you're getting down to the historical. Okay, who communicated this? Solomon. Who is he talking to? His son. Why is he writing it? Because he doesn't want his son to do the same things that he did. All right? So historically, boom, that's it. All right? Devotional, we've got a couple different ones. The world, like we were talking about, avoiding sin. Um, also, if you're going to go straight from historical to devotional, you could say it is wisdom that will help people to avoid bad relationships, physically and spiritually. So there are characteristics about the strange woman that if you can take those and apply those, you can see how, oh, that can help me when it comes to picking someone to date. Who is my future spouse? When it comes to spiritually, there are certain things that are stealing my heart away from God. Sin. And I need to avoid those things. Okay? All right? So good on that one? Okay. And then doctrinally. Doctrinally, when you study out the strange woman, you find out that it reveals the characteristics of all false religions. 
and especially Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, Revelation 17.5, that will be directly persecuting Israel during the tribulation. So it re really reveals um, the empire of the Antichrist, especially during the tribulation, the strange woman. But it is all false religions. Every false religion that's out there is going to appeal to your flesh. It's going to give you something that you can do to see, it, that, it, trying to tempt you to earn favor with God when it's not possible. Um, and there are many times that the nation of Israel, you can read in the Old Testament how they played the harlot with other nations, that they prostituted themselves out to other people, thinking that somehow that's going to make them better. And, and yet we can do the exact same thing. We want to be intimate with the world, thinking that it actually is going to satisfy when it never does. So there's a lot of applications there. But that would be the main doctrinal, is it reveals the characteristics of all false religions. All right, so you guys see that? Yes, sir. Okay, so when you're doing historical, make sure that you nail down who's speaking, who are they speaking to, and what's the purpose of it. Try to get it as simple as you can, and that will help you much more with your devotional application. Good job. All right, ladies, brazen serpent, number 21, who would like to go first? Front or back? Back. Front. Whatever Gavin says, go the opposite. Front. <laughs> so, um, historically, I think this is like right after God delivered up the Canaanites. Um, but they're like traveling um, from Mount Hor, and they're just like complaining about like everything. And God's kind of mad because he's been like providing for them like this whole time, ever since he's brought them out of Egypt. So he sends these fiery serpents to kill them. And... Uh, a lot of Israelites die, and so Moses is praying for them, and uh, God makes a way for them to be saved, and so basically they put uh, one of the serpents on a pool, mm -hmm. and whoever looked at that was saved, but if they didn't look at it, then they died. Okay, good. All right, and then devotional? You guys want to take that one? Sure. <laughs> okay. You want to do the doctrinal? I'm proud of our doctrine. Okay, then you guys can do devotional. Okay. <laughs> Unless, arm wrestle? Do it. All right, all right, good. You go ahead and do devotional. There are like several different devotional aspects. Um, one of them, we said like, was to not take God's blessings for granted mm -hmm. because the Israelites definitely did. Yeah. Um, another thing, uh, something I noticed was Moses prayed for the people mm -hmm. and uh, that's why so many people got saved, so just to pray for the lost. Yeah. And obviously, there's like a salvation aspect yeah. to it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I like the, the aspect of Moses, too, because sometimes when people are bitten by the issues of life or sins or whatever, sometimes it can be easy to say, yeah, well, they deserved it. You know, but Moses had compassion and he prayed for them. So that's good. I like that. Okay. All right. Doctrinal hoggers, go ahead. Very good. Very, very good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I understand. I understand now. And and forgive me. Forgive me. Okay. So, but a great cross-reference for that, that last part you just mentioned, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God made Jesus sin. He became the very definition of sin. So very good, very good. So historically, Israel murmurs against God. God sends fiery serpents among Israel. Those bitten are going to die. God instructs Moses to put a, put a fiery serpent on a pole and, 
And it's a brass, by the way, which is a picture of judgment. If you study out brass in the scripture, that's another good doctrinal application. And all that are bitten must look upon it and live. And you're right, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, why would that heal someone from, from not dying? Exactly. And people, when it comes to the gospel, they're like, really, that's it? That's all I have to do in order to be saved? Uh, yeah. And you know why it's so powerful? Because God told you to do it. Whatever God says, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. If God said it, just do it. Just believe Him. It'll be the most amazing thing ever. All right, good. And then devotionally, another one is that death will always occur when you don't believe God and you don't obey Him. Some form of death will happen. It doesn't matter if it's just sin or, or you don't handle a circumstance right. There will be a death of some kind as a result of sin. And of course, Romans 6.23 talks about that. The wages of sin is death. And then doctrinally, sin brings death. And God provided Jesus to be suspended upon a pole to whom we must look unto and we will live. So that is a great, great doctrinal truth. So those are some very, very simple ones. But I wanted you guys to be able to see historical devotional, doctrinal. And every book, every chapter, every verse has a historical, devotional, and doctrinal. Every one. It is amazing. And there are some that have double doctrinal applications. And it's really, really neat. And those would be considered the deep things of God. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about how the Spirit teaches the deep things of God. The more you spend time in the Bible... The more you read it, the more you study it, the more you get your hands around the historical and you start understanding uh, some devotional applications, you start to apply it. God will open up different things on a doctrinal level that is just absolutely amazing. It's one of the things that I'm telling you, it makes me go back to the Bible again and again and again and again and again because some of these doctrinal truths are amazing, absolutely amazing. There are things that God has written. In fact, if you were to really get down into the details of it, if you were to study Genesis 1 through 12, just chapters 1 through 12, once you go past chapter 12, there's really nothing new. There's really nothing new. God revealed everything that we needed to know from Genesis 1 through 12, and then he spends the rest of the Bible just unfolding more details about what he's already revealed in Genesis 1 through 12. It is amazing. The gospel is in Genesis chapter 1. It is. It's beautiful. It's in the days of creation. And there's cross-references for that in different parts of Scripture. It's absolutely stunning. So I love the Bible. It's amazing. Okay, so that is rule number four, the application factor. One of the things that we do in the Bible Institute is that every book of the Bible, we go through what's the historical, what's the devotional, what's the doctrinal. And I go back to those things over and over and over again. It helps me out tremendously. So take this stuff and run with it. Okay, so who would like to pray? Close it out. Thank you. Father, Lord, um, I thank you so much for really speaking through Stephen tonight. Um, I know I learned a lot, and um, why don't you just pray that um, we go home and use these things, these tools that you've given us and taught us um, on our own, and really um, help us grow through them. And Lord, I just pray for um, the rest of this week, but also just the rest of the school year, that um, you just, you know, this is a big mountain for us um, this year especially. Um, Lord, I just pray that you um, give us this mountain and um, that we do it for you and not just for ourselves. And we be that light um, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And we do it when, um, you know, we shine when even when we feel like nobody else is. Um, but I just pray that we trust you throughout it all and um, just stay safe. And I love you. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.